WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote, and I'm going to try to keep this intro short because we have a lot of show to get to. This week's guests are Stuart Moore and June Brigman, the writer and artist behind Captain Ginger, a new series out this week from Ahoy Comics. We talk about the book, we talk more about Ahoy as a whole, uh, we talk about Stuart's work writing novelizations of comics, and June's work on Power Pack and the daily comic strips of Brenda Starr and Mary Worth, and we talk about cats. We talk a lot about cats. Uh, after that, Matt Lazowitz and I will talk a little bit about some of the announcements that came out of New York Comic Con and how I am not ready for the age of X-Man. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the usual plugs for WMQComics.com still apply. We are still accepting submissions for our month-long October initiative, where readers and friends of the site tell us about their favorite issue of Uncanny X-Men. We're still going to be recording a live episode of WMQ&A as part of Halloween Comic Fest at the Hamilton Mall on October 27th. We're still participating in next month's Acts of Friendship podcast crossover with Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, The Young Ones, Play Comics, and Multiversal Q. And we are still home to all the best comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and panel views. Uh, so with that out of the way, here is me and Matt and Stuart and June. So, uh, Stuart, you mentioned in uh, Captain Ginger number one that this series predates uh, Ahoy Comics. Uh, I'm wondering how long you and June have been kicking this idea around before it found a home. Uh, we've probably been working on it now for about four years. Um, oh. I, uh, I, I was playing with it. June and I had worked together on uh, a project called The 99, which was a, uh, actually a um, superhero series intended uh, for, for the overseas markets, for the Muslim world. Um, and uh, that was about 10 years ago, or a little less, I guess. And uh, there was one, uh, one story that involved cats, and she just she just drew the hell out of it. Like she, there were she cats in every corner of the panel, fighting, climbing on things. Like uh, every like there, there must have been a, a a dozen or more cats in the panel, and each one of them had a personality and was doing something different. Um, so I, that just lodged in my mind, and uh, I really just came up with this really fast because I've always liked uh, I've just always liked space adventure stories, and I've I. I've written, um, I've sort of written things like that in the past. This is probably the purest one I've ever done, um, and I just created it for her. First time I've ever done that with a with a project with a with a specific artist in mind, thinking this is the only person I want to do this with. And thankfully, she really liked it and jumped all over it. Uh, that's fantastic. Now, had you been kind of shopping it around at all before you know Ahoy kind of came on the scene, or was it kind of a matter of things kind of all came together at the at the right time? I, I did show it to a few other people. Um, I remember I was, um, I but uh, but there were it, there was always something that didn't quite work. I think um, I think I actually think Amazon was interested, but they were sort of ramping down their comics line at the time. Um, so there were uh, there were the timing just wasn't right anywhere else. Um, and uh, yeah, once Ahoy came along and uh, Tom Pyre asked me to sort of consult for that, I showed them. I showed them the uh, what we had done on on this, and they thought it was a perfect match. Uh, for our listeners, Captain Ginger, uh, first of all, it's one of the early the you know first launches out from uh, Ahoy Comics, and uh, the basic summary is it's a kind of crew of a starship, but they are all cats. Basically, all the yep. humans have have died out. Um, you know, I, I, I go ahead, Matt. Yeah. And while they are anthropomorphic in that they walk on 
two legs and have seemingly opposable thumbs. If you have ever been in the presence of a cat or a cat person, you can absolutely tell they have, they maintain the personality of a cat. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's a, that's actually a, an, an important point in the first issue is uh, how human are they and how much are they like cats? Um, the other thing that happened was as it went along, June kept drawing more and more kittens and little cats um, sort of on the ship and big cats holding little cats in their laps and stroking them. And I actually had to change the science fictional background of how all this worked a little bit in order to accommodate all those kittens. But it's just wonderful. Like it's, it, 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 was, it was just so much fun. Uh, you know, definitely the, the imagery of seeing, you know, Captain Ginger wearing this very like 1960s kind of tunic style, uh, <laughs> you know, outfit, you know, stroking a smaller. Yeah, no, it's 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 fantastic. Um, you well, know, they, um, the cat, the cat designs were all June's and uh, and she actually came up with the name Sergeant Mittens as well. I had a different name for that character originally. <laughs> She just she just jotted it on a sketch and uh, <laughs> I, I loved it. I, uh, the, the I don't want to give away anything having already read the book, but the opening dialogue directed at that character it's just like wait wait did he just call him really okay <laughs> I know what ride I'm in for and I'm all, I'm signed on. Well, I, I think Sergeant Mittens is a perfect name for a tough guy character, which is what he is. I, I, you know, you can tell he had to be tough. He had to grow up that way. His name is Mittens. Um, it feels like, uh, you know, reading reading the first first issue, there's a lot of Star Trek in this uh, in this book's DNA. Is that uh, do you feel like that's fair to say? I, I know you've, yeah. you've got some Star Trek in your background. That's that's fair. I've uh, yeah. There's a lot of Star Trek in my DNA. I I, <laughs> I, I love the stuff. I, I grew up with the well with the original series and then Next Generation. Um, uh, there's uh, yeah. There's also there's a bit of Battlestar Galactica in there too. I think particularly the fighter pilots. Um, it's a it's a mixture. Um, but yeah, I think you know if if you're gonna do a real straight down the middle popular popular culture style space opera adventure. You're almost going to get Star Trek in there, military themes, space adventure. I should say you're going to get Star Trek in there one way or another. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and there's there I can I can feel that the BSG influence a little bit in there too, with the 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 running and the the mystery of what's chasing them. And again, I'm yeah. trying to avoid spoiling anything for people, but there, there's a couple of episodes of BSG that I could, when I thought about it, I was like, oh yeah. I mean, not that it's derivative, but it's, it's right. following some, some beats that that show really played on. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought it through that way, but uh, I was probably pretty influenced by the show at the time I was beginning the series. Um, so yeah, that it's natural. That would creep in. Um, are there certain are there certain cats on the ship, uh, you know, be it a, a specific breed or, or a specific rank that could be the equivalent, uh, end up being the equivalent of the red shirts on Star Trek? <laughs> um, not exactly. Uh, there are um, the, 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 the ship is um, the ship is big enough and the cats, you know, the cats basically took it over when the humans died out. And there is some hint throughout the story that uh, that. Things didn't go well for a couple of generations. They really didn't know how to run this ship, and they 
really didn't know how to work together either because cats aren't great at that. They tend to be very, they tend to be loner animals. They tend to be very competitive with each other. Um, so it took a while for them to realize that they had to kind of pull together in order to survive and actually learn how to use the ship's maker, which replicates all their food, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and even keep the engines running, that sort of thing. So there, there's a, um, there's a sort of a dark little interregnum there in terms of the, um, in terms of the, the actual breeds, Ginger is the only, Captain Ginger is the only ginger cat on ship. And, uh, we don't know who his father was. His father is not, um, in the picture. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, uh, that, that might be a long-term plot thread. Um, we're still, we're, that we're figuring, we're, we're, I'm, I'm plotting out the second series now. And, uh, and that may or may not figure into that. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot they don't know about the world they're in, the universe they're in, um, about the, um, the aliens who you meet pretty early on, um, who wiped out the human race and about, uh, what, who, who or what else might still be around out there that's the, uh, that's the legacy of Earth? As far as they know, they're alone, but that may not be the case. Uh, you said second series. What is, what is, as of right now, sort of the planned uh, arc of all this? Is this kind of starting out as a, as a limited uh, you know, miniseries? All, all the Ahoy books are, um, we're thinking of them in seasons. So, okay. uh, so basically they'll run between, generally between, five to, uh, between four and six issues take a break, take a hiatus, and then return. Um, Captain Ginger runs only four issues, but the first issue is almost double-sized. It's 35 pages of story, yeah. um, which is a good bargain. Um, and uh, so that tells you, that tells a more or less complete story, but ends with a bit of a hook. And then uh, I'm in the process of um, working out the next one, which will be a full six issues. And I've actually written the first script already. So yeah, we have long-term plans for this. This is um, this will take a several-month break and then come back. That's great. Um, are you kind of, you know, working working with June, who obviously also is is drawing daily comic strips uh, in in Mary Worth? You know, is a lot of what, how you guys are, are working this out tailored to her schedule as as the you know as an artist? Uh, yes, it, it is, and uh, she um, her her schedule tends to be very busy. Um, she's uh, she's scaling back on her teaching, which was also taking up a lot of time. Um, but uh, yeah, we took a we took a bit of time getting the first issue done. She's uh, the first series. I mean, done. Mm -hmm. She's um, she's done with issue four now, um, taking a little break, and uh, we may have a short. Uh, like a five or six pager that appears somewhere else first, and then uh, and then she's going to go right into issue five after that, or volume two, issue one. I'm not sure how we're going to handle the numbering yet. <laughs> and yeah, the, the again, uh, just to cover the bases on Ahoy a little more. Um, sure. I'm also acting as their operations manager. Uh, the way it, where it launched, it's already launched with the first two books, The Wrong Earth and High Heaven both of which are written and co-created by uh, Tom Pyre, the editor-in-chief. And uh, the plan with Ahoy is to run these series through their seasons, sub in other, pro sub in other series, and then cycle, cycle some, of the, um, some of the initial ones back, depending, of course, on both reader and reader reception sales and also um, creator availability. Um, it, it, the creators have to be ready. Um, Jamal Eigel, who's drawing The Wrong Earth, has some other obligations um he'll be doing another series i think he's gonna be doing another series of black oh, projects for that um so it'll be a little while longer before the wrong earth returns just because um we need to wait for him 
But again, we have some other, Ahoy has some other plans in that area with that property that we can't really talk about yet. So it's all being, it's all being worked out rather strategically. We'll, we we want to keep, um, we want to keep an, a, a general base of about four books a month coming out, but there will be occasional periods where some of the books are ramping down and we're about to launch the next ones where there might only be two or three. Um, no, that's great. Though. That's, and that, that is a great approach. You know, I, I think comics has been kind of moving more and more into the seasons model, you yeah. know, almost kind of, um, in a, in a prestige television sort of format. And I think it works very well for, you know, especially a lot of the, the sort of non superhero publishers, you know, so it's a, yeah, it's a tricky thing. Like you don't want to be off the stands for too long or people, or people can lose interest. Sure. But in this case, um, you know, June is, as you know, June has other commitments. Um, so we have to we have to sort of make allotments for her, and I don't want her to have to rush this either. She's putting a lot of care into this book, um, and a lot of detail into it, and uh, we need to we need to leave time to make all that uh, make all that happen. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned the the first obviously the first issue was uh, thirty five uh, pages yeah. of the forty eight page book. Uh, a lot of these Ahoy comics are like chock full of of back matter. Uh, issue number one of Captain Ginger got the third of the Grant Morrison prose pieces that have been yes. running throughout, which are just crazy town banana pants. <laughs> I love those. Yes. No one but Morrison. Anything about them because they're so they're just so unique. <laughs> very very hard to describe. But uh, so in future issues, uh, we'll we'll be will we be seeing kind of more more of that additional back matter kind of yeah. uh, filled in then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the first issue has uh, has that, and also uh, a feature called the Intrepid Files, written by me. That's uh, that gives a little more backstory and teasing on the on the series itself. Um, so it's it's directly related to the Captain Ginger series. Um, later uh, issues two through four will contain in the back a serial. In the, in the series Hashtag Danger, which oh, is already cool. premiered in High Heaven uh, by Tom Pyre, and in this case, Randy Elliott is the artist. Um, and there will also be, yes, there will also be prose stories. Um, there, uh, the, most of the stories we've gotten in, we, we've uh, we've acquired since we started doing this are a little shorter than the ones Grant wrote. So, um, so there may only be, like, I think issue two has two stories, and issue three might have three but they're only a single page each. Um, so, so yeah, it, it varies, um, but, uh, but it's an interesting mix. And we're trying to pick stories that are not necessarily all about animals, but, um, but, uh, but that are sort of thematically linked or have a, or related in some feel right within, uh, within a given book. So yeah, that's been fun. And the other fun of that is just commissioning header art for them because um, we can get, we can get little spot pieces of spot art from artists we don't uh, we don't have room for to work with in a on an ongoing basis or who are busy doing other things. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Now you mentioned you are uh, also working as operations manager for Ahoy. What does that what does that entail exactly? It's mostly the um, the sort of uh, uh, and this is all on a freelance basis. Um, it's um, it's basically the um, the marketing end of things, dealing with diamond on the on matters. Um, Doing strategic planning, making sure, uh, keeping the schedules, that sort of thing. Um, it's um, I, it's a, a lot. It's very exciting. It's it's a lot of stuff I haven't really done before, but uh, it's um, but I'm good. I'm good with. I've always been good with schedules, and I'm fairly organized. So uh, they kind of looked at me. We had a guy doing it who took a job at Marvel. Damn him. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, very good job, and he's a friend. Um, but uh, but someone had to step into this, and they all kind of looked at me, and I was like, "Well, I'm uh, I'm in the middle of writing an X Men novel right now, but yeah, I, I guess I can do that." So uh, so I did, and uh, yeah, it's gone pretty well so far. Okay, um, I'm a little tired after two conventions in a row. I will admit that. Ah, uh, so you were at New York this past weekend, then? New York, and then Baltimore before that. Yeah, oh, we had panels both. Went went very nicely. Um, yeah, uh, how, you know, uh, how was New York, uh, sp specifically, you know, did, were you there beyond, you know, the panels? Did you have a, you know, table at all or any, or, you know, we, uh, no, we weren't tabling. Um, I'm, I'm local. I, I live in Brooklyn. So, um, so basically I had a, <laughs> I adopted a plan that I've used in other years, which was to try and schedule everything I had to do after 2 PM. So that way I didn't have to come in early <laughs> and it worked out really well. Like I, I, uh, I talked to a lot of people. I made a, I had a sort of a home base with a friend at Artist Alley, and just uh, walked around, met up with almost everyone I needed to, um, and it was really, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a crazy con. The, um, the main hall gets as crowded as anywhere I've ever seen. Oh sure, sure. yeah. Um, so it can be really tough to get around. Artist Alley is a little more spacious, and they actually gave it a little more room this year. It was a little, um, was a little more crowded last year. Um, but it's a great show. Like people have a really good time. The guest list is great, and Baltimore was nice too. I'd never been there before, and that's much smaller, but it has a terrific guest list. Um, and they were just really welcoming and nice. The con organizers were were very good to us. They gave us a nice. Well, we 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 uh, we had a table there, and they gave us a really nice slot for the panel too. So I'm just curious, without saying too much, the you said you're working on an X Men novel. So is that another? Because I know you did uh, a Thanos one. Not yes too too long ago yeah is that this, part of the same line it, uh yes and no the the novels are now being published by titan um oh. but uh and the one i've written this isn't this is on amazon so i don't think it's a secret it's it's the dark phoenix saga oh. um adapted from the comics but scheduled to coincide with the movie so i don't have an exact publication date now it was supposed to come out in january but i think they're going to delay it um, because the movie was just bumped to June, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that was that was interesting. That was a whole challenge. That was a whole different kind of challenge. Um, uh, and uh, <laughs> it made for a busy spring with everything going on with Captain Ginger and Ahoy. Uh, but uh, but I think it came out pretty well. Pretty happy with it. Uh, when you're when you're adapting, you know, a comic story for you know for for a novelization, what generally, you know. What generally kind of goes goes into that? Well, they're all different. Um, the, the ones I've done, I did Civil War uh, before. I've, I've also done other kinds of adaptations. I've done um, film scripts to comics. I've done I've done books to comics. <laughs> um, but I uh, it, usually with a comic, you have to in order to turn it into a novel, you have to expand it a bit. Like just mm -hmm. usually books you just have a lot more room in the case of the dark phoenix saga it ran over so many issues and it has so much going on and so many characters it's the introduction of kitty pride it's the introduction of emma frost it's really where you see the hellfire club for the first time um that it was almost a struggle to get it all in there and still do enough character stuff because i felt the need to really get into gene gray's character um i i in some ways the story is a is a real proto-feminist story within comics, and it was definitely intended that way. Um, but 40 years on, things have changed, and uh, like I, I, I needed to approach it 
I, I don't want to go into it too much because I don't want to spoil the story too much. Sure, sure, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, um, I, I needed to re-examine it from a few um, from a few different angles, and that meant kind of beefing up her end of it, making sure it wasn't a story about a guy whose girlfriend gets a lot of power. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, with, not to say that's what it was in the first place, but when you, in a novel, you really have to pick a viewpoint, characters more carefully. Um, and so in the adaptation, I just had to watch out for that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I, I yeah. think I did it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to Captain Ginger uh, yes. a little bit. Um, Am I, was I correct in seeing that you also edited the book? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I sort of started the whole thing up without a publisher, and I, and I, was, uh, I was just handling it myself. But I actually, um, I kind of, uh, the, the whole concept of the writer-editor has, has got a very bad name these days. But, you know, some of my favorite comics of the 70s and 80s had that credit on it. And I think if the writer and artist are in sync, and if the writer's not a, jerk <laughs> i think it can really work uh there are pro that said there are projects that i couldn't do that way there are projects that um either that that i would that i absolutely need an editor for uh, over my work either just because of the complexity of it um or because uh it involves company-owned characters that i need to check on um and uh but in this case, I, I think we know exactly what we wanted to do. Um, and uh, June and I were already sort of established working together by the time we came on Ahoy. So it just made sense for me to handle the editorial duties going forward. W-A-Q-A. Hey, gang. Dan here. As you may have noticed, June Brigman has not appeared on this podcast yet. Turns out the day we recorded, she was in the middle of moving and got her computer and internet set up just in time to jump on the Skype call with us. Uh, she now joins us at this point in the interview, and we were very, very appreciative of her taking the time to do so. W-A-Q-A. Uh, well, well, June, we're, we're very glad to, to have you, um, you know, on, on what is obviously a very uh, busy day for you. Uh, uh, Stuart, Matt, and I have been talking a lot about uh, Captain Ginger, um, which, you know... I, you know, first of all, you know, you're on record as having uh, 10 cats. You just moved uh, 10 cats. How much do you kind of feel like the captain of a uh, all-cat starship right now? <laughs> oh, my God. It, it, it really is. And so, you know, I'm not so sure I'm, I'm the captain. Uh, I might be a first mate. <laughs> Uh, I might be might, I might be an engineer um, because I kind of get them around where they need to be. But um, I, I would say it's the cats that are in charge. Um, they, they definitely run run the uh, the, the starship uh, here. Yeah, that, that's usually how they work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, you know they've actually been behaving really well. They seem to have agreed on a detente. Uh, at least, at least for the time being, no, no, you know, disagreements, no, um, no uh, spats or anything. Uh, I'm not really sure how long that's going to last, but we're just kind of enjoying it while it does. Probably till they get comfortable in the new place. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I think they were also freaked out that that was, uh, you know, that kind of made them uh, join together. But yeah, I'm sure once they get comfortable. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, the cat's politics will start up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, now, in moving them, were, did you, you know, did they all make the trip at once, or, or was it oh, sort of? No. Gra- I, I know. I mean, I guess we could have like rented a U-Haul trailer and tried to throw them <laughs> off in there at once. No, we had um, three cat carriers. One cat carrier is big enough for a dog, like a medium-sized dog. So mm-hmm. uh, we were able to use that for uh, to move two at a time or to move the very difficult ones because it, it's big enough we could just kind of set it up on its end and open the door and throw them in like throwing them into a trash can. Um, so, yeah, we had – it took about, I think, about three trips to get them all in. Okay. Um. You know, t- uh, talking about uh, your cats and also the the many cats that that feature in Captain Ginger, uh, is there is there a one to one correlation between the cats in your house and and the cast of of the book? I know you've mentioned uh, previously that you have cats that are like Captain Ginger and Sergeant Mittens. These are great names, by the way. Uh, but uh, how about some of the others? Uh, not specifically. Uh, I, I think. I mean, they all have their own unique little personalities and quirks, and I, I, I think certainly an influence in how I draw them. Um, I, I do have cats that um, I have a cat that kind of looks like a crew. She's uh, some sort of Siamese mix. Um, I have a couple of cats that look like rattle and roll um, with the helmets. With the helmets, yes. Except, except mine don't wear helmets. They're like, don't even think about it. Uh, you, know, you can't really dress up cats like you do dogs. No, um, no, they don't. They don't care about pleasing you. You know, <laughs> they're very different from dogs. But yeah, I mean, I, I had I had two cats that um, certainly influenced the look of uh, ginger and mittens, and then the other cats are just kind of a you know conglomeration of of the 10 that I have mm-hmm. there, there is one, uh, there was a character we added in issue two that, uh, I named after a cat you just adopted. And I think you drew, a, you drew him as that cat, buddy cat. Um, right. Right. I, I, oh, sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, we there was a cat that we had a, a neighborhood stray. We had just taken in that, um, had definitely seen better days. Um, he's almost blind, uh, and he's missing, I think he has about three teeth left in his head. And he also, um, he had, must have been part of a spay, neuter, catch and release program because one of his ears is clipped off. And that, that's how they signify that a cat has been spayed when they release him. Um, and he's, he's just a really goofy looking cat. So yeah, he, he definitely um, was my model for, um, for um, uh, our our head of litter duty. Litter box duty. <laughs> Which is not the most prestigious job on the ship. No. <laughs> but everyone has to, to do their time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Certainly. Um, getting back to rattle and roll for a second. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the odd man out in this group in that uh, I am not a cat owner. Uh, I have two dogs. And I had seen Rattle and Roll's helmets. And uh, Matt and I kind of work off of, uh, you know, a Google Doc uh, script when we're kind of going into these interviews. And I had put down, are those real things? And he said yes. And in fact, his cat had had one. It, or they remind me of this helmet that my our groomer, because Bess is the sweetest, most lovable cat unless you get anywhere near clipping her nails and then she freaks out like crazy. 
So our groomer had this helmet that she would put on that cut off her peripheral vision and narrowed her field of vision down to a point. And it apparently just calmed her down and she would just let, you know, she could just get in there from the side and clip the nails. And that's what those helmets really reminded me of. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you base them on anything like that, June? I had no idea such a thing existed. <laughs> yeah, it, sounds, I, it sounds really cool. It sounds like something that, that, yeah, would definitely work. But, you know, you have to get them on the cat. Yeah, that was, it, it usually <laughs> took the the groomer and the groomer's assistant and the third person there to hold best down to get the helmet on before she'd calm down, but it, it worked after a fashion. The um the the helmets in the within the story are uh, what the cats use to interface with the um mentally with the with the hyperspace drive. So it kind of enhances their reflexes a little bit, mm. um, so they can actually drive the ship at faster than light speeds. Um, this is slightly inspired by uh, the work of a. Uh, science fiction writer who's not not much in print now but his name is Cordwainer Smith and uh, I loved his work as a kid he had a he had a story called the game of rat and dragon where um uh starship pilots would telepathically link with cats um and because the cats could navigate the wilds of hyperspace better and uh, and hyperspace was filled with very dangerous creatures called dragons that could drive humans mad but the cats just saw them as rats and the cats would just chase them um so that's a that's kind of where that idea came from it's handled very differently in our story but i like the idea that cats cats have very fast reflexes and tend to move very quickly and i, I the the idea here was just that this is a um this is an a this is a telepathic aid that lets them um lets them actually think and move faster than light when they have to hmm. cool that's awesome. And now um, I've got a book I need to track down. Cause that's... <laughs> um, obviously, June, uh, one of your great contributions to comics has been Power Pack, which is another series that kind of on its face you look at and go, oh, a bunch of kids with superpowers. How fun. But, you know, looking at it, it can get pretty dark at times. You know, I'm thinking specifically back to, like, the Mutant Massacre and when Annalie tried to adopt the Power Kids because, you know, her own children had been killed. And now with Captain Ginger, here we have a spaceship full of cats. Again, how fun. But they're basically alone in space. They're only a few generations removed from the xenocide of their, you know, former masters, struggling to overcome their baser instincts as cats. Um, when you're when you're drawing these kinds of stories, like how much kind of I guess kind of conscious thought do you give to that mix of like darkness and light? Uh, it's it's pretty easy to be conscious of it um, because of, of Stuart's writing. I mean, <laughs> I've gotten to know these characters pretty well, and yeah, there are you know there are a lot of fun, and um, there's you know certainly cat humor <laughs> in it. But um, I think we're always kind of aware of of this uh, background of how these cats came to be and that they they are alone and they're searching for for more of their kind and they're just trying to survive and figure things out. Um, and it, it does, you know, affect the artwork. I mean, I obviously they're they're anthropomorphic. Um, but I, I always try to keep in mind that they're cats and they're maybe a little more cat-like than other, uh, anthropomorphic cat characters. 
um, their their hands are their paws have kind of evolved into something in between paws and hands. Um, they walk on two legs, but their legs are still kind of a variation on cat legs. And um, and and their expressions, I mean, they can get pretty serious. They can get pretty angry. They they can be pretty volatile. And um, and and also the ship, the ship's pretty worn out. You know, it's not a pretty sparkly thing. It's pretty <laughs> run down and kind of dark and grim. Um, so I, you know, I try to keep that in mind in some of the lighting I do. And also our um, our colorist. Um, Veronica Gandini does such a good job. Um, yeah. She really adds a lot to the mood of the book. So we're, we're very lucky to have her. And my husband. I was, gonna, I was just going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I have this husband who inks almost <laughs> <laughs> I do. And, um, and he, you know, he gets it as well. Um, it's, you know, it's not that cartoony. And it's not really a book for little kids. Um, it, sure. it can be intense at times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're all together in this. You know, everybody does their part and adds to the mood of the book. Um, you, you mentioned, Roy, uh, you guys obviously have worked together on, you know, so many things over the years, uh, you know, from, from comics to uh uh, you know the strips from the star Mary Worth. Um, how is your kind of work setup? Do you do you guys kind of work in the same room, or are you kind of working uh, on the same things at the same time? Or well, we're you know we have our little cottage industry going where I you know draw something and, and hand it off to him. Um, no, we aren't in the same room. It's not like we're working back to back. Uh, that would be that you know that would be kind of. Uh, too too sweet too sweet to be true. Um, we we like to have our own space right now that we just moved into a new house and I have given him the the entire lower floor of the house. That's his man cave. That's his studio. Um, that's his spot. And we pretty much leave each other alone. I mean, I I know he knows what he's doing. He knows I know what I'm doing, and we just let each other do do our work. Secret to a healthy marriage. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, you know, we did mention, you know, you are, uh, you guys also are working on, you know, these daily Mary Worth strips in addition to, you know, now uh, a monthly comic series. Uh, you know, how, how much of, of your time does the, do the strips kind of uh, take up in the, in the grander scheme of, of your work? Uh, probably a, a, about, uh, I would say it takes us each about three days uh, to do a week of, of uh, comic strips. Uh, um, I mean, Roy also does the inking and lettering and coloring of the, the Sundays. So, um, you know, it, it's about three days each. And then, you know, and then the other half of the time is spent on Captain Ginger. Um, and then I'm also... A, uh, I'm a student right now, finishing off my MFA in illustration at SCAD. Oh wow! And, wow. Plus, you know, we have we have ten cats to take care of, so <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a juggling act. Um, I, I should also point out for you know for our followers who are X Men fans, uh, I believe one of your cats is named Emma Frost. Yes, we have Emma Frost. Um, we have Sif. 
from Thor. Oh, wow. And, and we also have Kirby, um, who we got on uh, the same day as Jack Kirby's birthday. So, yeah. That's great. Oh, man. Uh, so, uh, as I mentioned before, 75% of the people on this Skype call are, uh, are cat owners. Uh, I have I have two major dachshunds myself personally, but uh, generally, do you guys find that there? And this is you know for for the entire group, do you guys find that there are more cat people in in comics than dog people? I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. No. I haven't done a a real survey. I mean, I, I know there are a lot of um, there are a lot of cat people out there, and I'm hoping we can reach them even if they're not regular readers of comics, because I think um, I think I think a lot of I think people will recognize the personalities of cats in, uh, certainly in June's art and in uh, in what she's what she's pulled together on this book. So I'm hoping we can. It, it's always a tricky thing to get a book um, noticed outside the direct market, but uh, but I'm hoping we can as we go along. I think I, I think there are a lot of people who would like it. Yeah, it's not just. I mean, yeah, of course, it's you know has a lot of uh, cat humor, and anyone who's familiar with cats, I'm sure, will recognize cats they um they know in in our uh, in our cats but you know it's, it's also it's just really good science fiction mm -hmm. so uh i i hope that you know even people who aren't cat owners will recognize the you know these these great stories that Stuart is writing oh thank you yeah I don't know if dog people outnumber cat people, but I know that I've spent a lot of time talking to other cat people at the comic shop. So, yeah, I'm not really. I know. I mean, I know a lot of artists who have cats. I know a lot of artists who have cats and dogs. Mm -hmm. I know artists who are allergic to cats, which I usually find out when I invite them over for dinner. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, it's probably about, I would say it's about equal. Okay. I, I also, I always remember uh, the letter pages of uh, John Lehman and Rob Glory's Chew, where you could send in pictures of your cat with copies of Chew. I always meant to do that, but I could <laughs> never get my cat to sit still long enough for the photo. Okay, so that's at least two comics that have had letter pages that encourage readers to send in pictures of their uh, of their cats because there was also that Patsy Walker book. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think I may be making it three. I'm trying to remember what I put in the in the letter column of the first issue, but I think I'm asking people to do that. In fact, I would love it if people like tried to put space helmets on their cats and actually and and send in pictures of themselves with their arms all bloody and covered with bandages. So, oh. <laughs> that would be do not send Stuart the hospital bill, though. That's right. No, no. <laughs> the management assumes no responsibility. Yes. I, I, I might get you a picture of Bess, but I don't think I'm going to try that. That would... No, no, don't... Not, yeah, don't even... Yeah. Don't even yeah. yourself. That's, don't yeah. try this at home, kid. Uh, you can Photoshop it on. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so... Uh, in, in the uh, introductory column for uh, Captain Ginger number one, uh, Tom Pyre mentions uh, in a brief snippet uh, how so many of the kind of OG uh, Vertigo editors have gone on to found their own imprints and publishing initiatives, you know, between Ahoy, Black Crown, Burger Books, etc. Uh, in a perfect world, Stuart, uh, are, are you guys, you know, yourself, Shelley Bond, Karen Berger, etc., the, uh, the comics Illuminati out to spread the influence <laughs> of highbrow mature readers' titles? 
Well, well, I think we all bring something different to the table. I'm, uh, I'm actually, I, I mentioned to you, I'd, uh, I'd assumed the publishing operations job. So I'm the only one of those people who's not actually editing books except for my own. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really good crew. I mean, it was a, re it was a real, it was a crowd of very smart people, very good editors, each with their own taste. Um, and I think it's just an accident of timing as much as anything else. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there, um, there's a, there is a lot of, there, there have been some articles about this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good creator-owned stuff out there right now. There's, a, there are a lot of new lines, um, and obviously the market will winnow it down to some degree. We've had some very, very encouraging signs with uh, Ahoy so far. Uh, sales on Captain Ginger are uh, spiking up uh, as of issue three, um, which is very unusual um, and, and a pretty dramatic rise, actually. That would be um, that, that's pre-orders before the first issues even come out. That's it's uh, pre-orders, pro yes, probably. There might have been it might have been out for a week. There might have been a window where they could get some in. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, and uh, and both Captain Ginger. And the other October launch book, which is <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror, um, the anthology, both of those launched with higher numbers than the first two-month books. Um, so that indicates a certain amount of uh, retailer confidence in the company based on the initial titles. Um, and uh, and we're, we're just really happy to see that. It, uh, it's, it's, making for <laughs> it's making my job even more hectic, but, uh, but it's, really, it's really encouraging. That is fantastic news. Um, let me let me ask you both. You know what what are you guys reading when you have the time to read? Uh, it you know doesn't have to be specific to comics. Um, I I, uh, I try to keep up with some of the current science fiction magazines. I've been um, I've been reading things like Apex and uh, Clark's World, and I'm, I've got a couple of writers who've who've jumped out at me recently are Suzanne Palmer and who just won the Hugo Award, I think, and uh, Nick Wolven. Um, in comics, I was just catching up on some things today. I'm still an issue behind on Mr. Miracle. That's one of my favorite comics oh, right now. Tom so King's good. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Um, I catch up on Saga, which I love. Um, uh, what else was I, um, oh, I think I was, uh, I just tried the, uh, I was just, I was just sampling some things today, like, uh, Heroes in Crisis, which is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know where it's going yet. And, uh. And uh, the IDW's very strange new Dick Tracy book, uh, written by uh, Mike and Lee Allred, with art by Rich Tommaso, um, which uh, which wasn't what I expected at all. I'm still processing it. It was, it was pretty wild. Um, I, I probably shouldn't be admitting this, but I rarely read comics. <laughs> I like to look at the pictures. Um, <laughs> And, uh, I mean, sometimes I'll end up reading something, you know, my husband will stick in front of my face. Uh, now I'll start out looking at the artwork and then get sucked into reading it. But, um, usually it's, it's, you know, something that, uh, is not current, you know, a Russ Heath comic book or an older Archie Goodwin, Walt Simonson job, something like that. I'll, I'll start out looking at the pictures. The next thing I know I'm reading it. Um, but I guess outside of comics, um, you know, I, I, I go back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. Uh, right now, I'm reading a book um, by an author named Jane Smiley, um, who's uh, written a book called Horse Heaven. 
And um, it's funny because one of the blurbs in the book describes it as being satirical. And I'm reading the book and I'm like, no, it's not. It's not satirical at all. This woman is writing about my, I also love horses and, and ride. And I'm like, she's writing about my friends. I thought it was really funny. That it was described as satirical. And then before that, I was reading um, Rick Bragg, who was kind of a, a Southern writer. He's from Alabama, um, writes, you know, a, a lot of coming of age stories about growing up very poor in the South. I like his writing a lot. And um, I also sometimes I'll go back and revisit Larry McMur McMurtry. Um, I've always enjoyed his books. Um, I the, let's see, recently I guess because of his passing, I was reading some Harlan Ellison that I, I hadn't read. Since yeah, I was, you got to look for that too. I yeah. hadn't read <laughs> his stuff since I was in high school, and some of it some of it held up better than others. Um, but I still enjoyed that a lot. So yeah. Sorry, I, I, I probably should read more comics. I'll be reading Ahoy Comics. But yeah, mostly I, I just enjoy looking at the artwork. I forgot. I'm also reading a book called, uh, a fascinating book called Space Odyssey about the filming of 2001, mm. uh, which uh, has a lot of interesting information. It's actually the first book of that sort uh, I've seen that deals explicitly with Arthur C. Clarke's life as a, as a closeted gay man, actually, um, and also, uh, but there's a lot in there about Stanley Kubrick, who sounds, uh, who comes off as just this incredibly brilliant man, and uh, simultaneously very friendly and very difficult, very, very sort of demanding and hard to work with in a lot of ways. Um, so that's that's fun. All right. Uh, well, as we're as we're winding down, folks, uh, how can people follow you guys online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? Uh, I'm at uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the same address. It's Stuart Moore One. S T U A R T M O O R E One. Uh, that's probably the easiest way. Uh, we have a website, comicsahoy.com, and uh, that we're updating. Uh, well, we're, it, 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 we're updating it constantly with um, with new releases and upcoming um, upcoming books as they're uh, as they're solicited through Diamond, um, and it also features various. Uh, Q and A's and articles with um, uh, our creative teams and other people we know and other things of interest. So, uh, so that's worth a look, I think. And uh, sorry, I don't tweet. I think that's just another opportunity for me to say something I'll regret. Um, <laughs> I'm on Facebook. I keep meaning to start doing Instagram because I know I should, but um, I've just been really busy and has, haven't gotten around to it. But I, I really am. I'm, I'm going to start doing, I will be on Instagram any day now. Okay. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, best of luck with Captain Ginger number one. And June, again, thank you for speaking with us on uh, at, the, at the tail end of your moving day. You know, hopefully after uh, this, you can relax for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> It was it was a really nice break, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, you guys. Thanks. WMQA. The world of comics podcasts is unpredictable. Yeah, like is the episode going up at nine a.m. Eastern or Pacific? When you least expect it. Or are they going to skip a week again? Everything changes. I mean, I do love a good bonus episode. They are coming. Oh, oh, 
Is it a guest? Acts of Friendship, the comics podcast crossover. Oh, I see what they did there. Coming November 2018. Wait, what are you doing here? W-A-Q-A. I was at I was at New York for like a day. I'm trying to figure as far as like big announcements. You know what? I, right, you know what I want to know? Here's what I want to know. Why? Why are? Why the? Why X Man? That's what I want to know. Why X Man? <laughs> I think we can definitely talk about why X Man. I think I want to talk about Young Justice because that book. I mean th- that one is speaking to the core of me. Mm-hmm. And even it's like, okay, it's Bendis. I, I'm, you know, Bendis loves writing teen books. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's Tim Drake, Connor Kent and Bart Allen again. And that's just, I mean, the Wonder Twins from Mark Russell, that seems interesting. Where is that going to get like, that's going to go somewhere weird. Like, you know, oh, it. like, how, no. are you, how are you going to take these two teenagers that can turn into animals and water structures and make their make their story a depressing commentary on the human condition with a monkey. He, he will find a way. <laughs> he will find a way. Yeah, he will. To, what was the, uh, there was the third. I'm trying to find what the because I can't remember what the third book was. Oh, there was. Uh, hold on, I actually I can. I've got yeah, that I think I. Oh, me. H Dial H. Yeah, that's right. He's bringing back Dial H. Um, which that's an interesting, well, Sam Humphreys and Joe Quinones on dial H. That's a good team. And you could could definitely do something interesting with dial H for hero in, in 2019. Oh yeah. Especially if there's like an app. (laughs) Yes. There's actually a vastly underrated, um, series from the, I want to say it's the early aughts. It might be the late nineties. That was just H E R O. Uh, it was Will Pfeiffer and various artists, but Dale Eaglesham did a good bit of it. And it was, it started out, it was one of those things where it starts out as an anthology. And then you realize that all the stories are linked by the, not just by the, the hero dial, but by events. It's, Cause it starts out as like, Oh, random person gets the hero dial, loses it, and somebody gets it in the next issue. But then there, it turns out there's more of an arc to it behind the scenes that builds. Hmm. It was a, a good book, and I think I was one of like five people who read it. <laughs> that, that period of DC Comics where I was the one of the five people who was reading all sorts of books. Chase, so many <laughs> others. Uh, but, <sighs> but Young Justice, Young Justice was your jam. I do recall that. Yes. I mean, I loved that book to begin with back in its Peter David days. And I mean, it was it's an interesting book in that it does that weird Peter David thing where it's like, oh, this is real funny. This is real funny. Oh, oh I, I didn't think it was going to go there. That <laughs> got real dark real fast. And I mean, it was where I mean, they'd already established a, a, a casual friendship between Tim Drake and Connor Kent in there was a, a, two, a prestige format miniseries where the two of them met and fought Poison Ivy. Mm-hmm. And but this was where they became close friends, where Bart Allen became close friends with them, 
where it brought in uh, Cassie Sandsmark, who is in that preview art. So I'm kind of assuming that she's going to be in the book, too. Now, remind she, me which one is Cassie Sandsmark. Uh, Wonder Girl. She was the Wonder, the blonde Wonder Girl who dated Connor Kent. Okay. Um, she was one of the the original cast of Young Justice was outside. There was a three issue miniseries called JLA World Without Grown Ups that was Tim Connor and Bart. Mm-hmm. But with the beginning of Young Justice, they brought in uh, that incarnation of Wonder Girl, Cassie, and a uh, a character from Impulse. Uh, Arrowette, who is an archer. Okay. Um, and then they introduced uh, another character who was called The Secret, who appeared in a one-shot that led into the uh, issue one of the series. And, I mean, there were other characters that kind of came and went, but they were the kind of the six core members of the team throughout the entire run. And, I mean, at least four of them are in the preview art for the book. I mean, it's interesting that, I mean... Bendis seems he says he's gonna there's gonna be a Teen Lantern, and I think he might have mentioned at least one other character, but it's it'd be interesting for a Teen Lantern. It's he did say he tried to get uh, Static, and oh. couldn't because of the other um, the coming of the Milestorm reboot. But Static would have been a nice choice. He, I, I've never felt like they've been able to quite get that character to work in the DC universe and it's except for the animated universe he worked great in when the members of the Justice League would uh, guest star in his series and when the uh, grown up static showed up in that time travel episode of Justice League Um, anything else uh, DC wise Um, there I mean I'm trying to think if there's any other big DC news. I mean, there's a lot of preview art. I mean, the the yeah. early preview art for uh, Three Jokers, which I am curious and nervous about. Yeah. Uh, I just I am not 100 percent sure where that's going, and it's been now teased for two years. By the time it hits, it'll be two and a half. No, it's been two and a half ish already. Whenever Rebirth teased, came out, right? Right. Rebirth. And we're, if we're assuming two issues a month from Rebirth books from the, the double ships, if Batman's on 55, mm-hmm. that's 27 months. Yeah. So a little so, bit more than two years. Yeah. And by the time the book hits, it'll be two and a half. Mm-hmm. So I'm not 100% sure where that goes at this point, especially as there, none of those jokers seems to be the joker we've seen in Tom King's Batman. Hmm. I mean, it, granted, it seems like everyone who's written the joker since Scott Snyder has had a slightly different take. I mean, the joker that pops up in Harley Quinn isn't the joker that we saw in the wedding, the run up to the wedding stuff. Right. So, I mean, but that's also the Joker. I mean, Grant Morrison's whole the Joker reinvents himself every morning when he wakes up allows you to kind of make the Joker whoever you want him to be. But I'm just not. I mean, I I'm not sure where that is going as a story. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but uh, I, guess, I guess moving over to, to Marvel, um, you know, I, I am I am dying to see where all this this X Men stuff is 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 going post the Uncanny relaunch. Like, I don't know if you've seen the covers from some of these early Uncanny issues, but you know, we got Nate Gray looking like Jesus, and then they teased a ten week ten week Age of X Men event to follow the ten week Uncanny relaunch, and I'm I'm just like. Yeah, why Nate Gray? That is that is that is my question. You know what? I feel like I felt uh, like almost a year ago when I launched this site and realized that there was like a contingent of X Men Twitter that was obsessed with Maggot, <laughs> and, and, and I was like, "Were we reading the same comics, guys?" But now I've kind of learned to stop. You know, I've stopped worrying and learned to love Maggot. But I, that that same. I, I guess here here was my initial reaction because the the art of Nate Gray that we're seeing now has him very much looking like older and also like white people think Jesus looks like. And Cable, meanwhile, has died and been replaced with a loopered kid version of himself. So I, it almost feels like Cable Nate Gray Freaky Friday. Oh, I, I, I might I, I would read that book. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's I think you you hit the nail on the head there that we're reaching this point where people are getting nostalgic for those 90s, early aughts X characters. I mean, that that really excellent Domino annual gave some real pathos to Stacy X. Yeah, guys, go read that Domino Annual if you haven't, by the way. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but it is very good. It, I mean, that is a – Domino in general is a really quality book. And that that annual, I mean, it. wow. I was knocked out by various bits, but that particular – the support group for mutants who can't pass was a great, great bit of character. But Nate Gray is, I mean, you've got to think, I mean, that that's his series ran 75 issues. Does that include I mean, counter, the Counter X stuff? That includes the Counter X stuff. It ran through 75. Marron. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, he popped up in the Abnet and Lanning New Mutants, which I have to get around to reading at some point. Um, probably when I finish reading the classic New Mutants. Um, but he's got, he, I think he always sort of had this kind of weird fan base but now it seems like that contingent is a little more vocal a little more out there and people are listening and i think maybe the fans who were i mean you got to think about we were growing up with nate gray so at this point we're the the writers are going to be our age yeah that's true i i I, I don't know if I grew up. I, I don't know if that's something I would cop to, though. Like, I grew up with Nate well, Gray. <laughs> you were growing up as Nate Gray was becoming a character. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, 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 I get that. I feel like I grew up with Nate Gray in the same way I feel like I grew up with Tim Drake. Yeah, or I grew up with Jubilee, for example. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you could get away with that. No, Nobody wants to say they grew up with Nate Gray. <laughs> or at least, I guess, I guess the people are. But. I guess that I guess means that Uncanny is going to be a just a consistently weekly book for twenty weeks. And I guess if you're not doing any other X book, if this is the only no Red, there's still Red, isn't there? I think there's still Red, but I, I would have to look. We'd have to look at the January solicits, which we're I think yeah. we're like a week or two uh, out from. But I have a feeling 
red wraps with 12. I think that I think they're just going to settle the whole Cassandra Nova arc and be done with it, much like Astonishing wrapped, you know, with the end of Rosenberg's story. Because now, you know, the Uncanny Team has a lot of red in it. It's got Gene, it's got Storm, it's got Laura, you know. Kurt, too, doesn't it? Isn't and it? it's got Bearded Kurt, which, no. by the way, Kurt, never shave. Yeah. That, that beard <laughs> totally. suits you. You know, if, if he'd had that beard when he was the the mutant pope, that, that he might have been able to get some more converts. If he had that beard when he was the mutant pope, he would not have a beard right now. That is true. Okay, <laughs> that is true. I think we just all want to ignore the mutant pope thing. It's just one of those things that has to come up every now and then to remind us how far we fell and how much we've recovered from the mutant pope and... Yeah. Angel and Husk doing it in the air. Ugh. Over over Husk's mom, over Ma Guthrie. Yeah, I tried not to even bring up that particular bit, but it's because it, it, it's bad enough as it is. Yeah. Bad enough as it is. Those comics were bad. <laughs> Very. And it's, the other, I think the other thing from Marvel that had jumped out at me was the stuff about the new, um, this weekly... Is it World of Hell's Kitchen? No, that's not it. The the dare the thing that'll be filling in the Daredevil spot when Daredevil uh, goes on its in between season mm-hmm. break, and I'm it it's, it seems like we're kind of gonna be te- not necessarily teased, but it's it's interesting because I know it's something similar happened in between the nightmare that was Shadowland and the Wade series where there was a, a hiatus and there was a daredevil reborn reborn series. Yeah. Reborn, not rebirth. That's a whole different company. Or born again. <laughs> We're born again, but it's just like, okay, so it, we've seen some teaser images. So I am as a long time daredevil fan curious to know where we're going to see that particular piece go. But I'm, I I need to see where souls run wraps up and whether or not we lose mayor Fisk before Matt quote unquote dies. Mm -hmm. Do do you think he is going to die or, or I'm, you know, as much as anyone dies in comics. That's yeah. That's (laughs) the, the question. Well, actually, no, that's not the question. The question is going to be showing up in Action Comics. <laughs> um, I don't... I think we're going to be getting another metaphorical death for Daredevil. Uh, he just... he It's one of the few things that they've never really pulled with the character. And at this point, it would be almost... It would feel... You know, you kill Jean Grey, that's part of a pattern. Mm-hmm. You, you kill the guy who's never died. It's like, oh, really? We're going to go here now? Mm-hmm. So I think I think the death of Daredevil is going to be Daredevil having to wander off into the sunset for a while or do something to take out, to finally bring down Fisk. We'll have to, I'm not sure, fake his own death or something. But I don't think we're going to see a Daredevil death story anytime soon but i you know prove me wrong charles soul prove me wrong <laughs> um you know i I'm, I'm taking us deep down the rabbit hole but you know where where does souls run you know 
met rank for you? Because obviously Daredevil is a character that's had a couple of you know great runs, and then there's been some some fair to midlands. Uh, man without fear. That's what it's. It's man. That's what the series is called. It's Man without fear, and it focuses on Hell's Kitchen. Huh. Um, whew, that's a real good question. Um, I. I mean, I've read consistently read Daredevil since Kevin Smith, since Marvel Knights. Okay. But I've gone back and I've read, obviously, the Miller stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that crazy 90s D.G. Chichester, Fall from Grace, um, that, that the armored as devil stuff. Um, and some of Denny O'Neill's run, the stuff in between the Miller, and some of the Nocenti, which is batshit crazy in a good way Mm um i mean you it it's funny i would argue to no end that the definitive batman isn't frank miller's no matter how many people say it is but with daredevil i will have to give miller the nod because pre miller and i mean i've read a little bit of Daredevil pre-Miller, not a ton. And I actually have all the essentials. So that's, you know, when I'm old and gray and retired, I'll be able to read all of that early Daredevil. Um, But he was sort of B-list Spider-Man. I mean, he wasn't much different than Spidey Mm -hmm. other than making up his own twin brother, which is, you know, still a great plot point. Uh, Actually, that's kind of where I think we might go with, as I, now that Mike Murdoch is back, I think Matt might have to do the old switcheroo with fake Mike Murdoch. But nonetheless, um, I mean, Souls stuff, I was a little worried when it came in, as it was such a vast departure from Mark Wade's run. But right. it's gotten, I mean, that when it got to the point where Matt was arguing a case about, secret identities in front of the Supreme court that like, that is an interesting thing to do. And I mean, soul is a a lawyer. So he, he really was able to get into some of those intricacies. And I, I mean, it, it puts it probably, I mean, it's behind Miller behind Wade, uh, uh, Bendis's stuff, Bendis's better stuff. Uh, I loved Brubaker's run. I mean, I, it's it's top ten. I would definitely throw it up there. Okay. Um, it, it's it, it it it's interesting, mm-hmm. and I think he got some really good character beats. It took a it took an arc or so to kind of get there. I was, but it it got there eventually. Although, if honestly, if we want Charles Soule and superhero lawyer stuff, I still go with his She-Hulk run any day of the week. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Oh, um, Matt Rocks! <laughs> he is one of my favorite Matt Rocks dupes. Yes. Um, how about any of the uh, anything from any of the other publishers? Uh, you know, uh, I'm kind of curious. Uh, Humanoids looks like it's it's jumping into the fray now. Uh, next, starting next year, they're gonna have like a bunch of monthly books, and they've got Mark Wade and John Cassidy overseeing things. Is a fascinating team, and I think as we've 
you know, interviewed recently some of the, the you know, the Ahoy guys mm-hmm. and guys and gals and the, the <coughs> excuse me, the expansion of these companies into doing, you know, different work that we're kind of getting this boom of independent uh, publishers, no pun intended, um, the, of, you know, a mid tier that isn't, you know, diamonds select, you know, publishers, your Marvels, your DCs, your images, um, and that aren't, you know, your tiny, your, that don't, I don't think qualify as small press entirely anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that is something the comics industry has needed that you're not, you know, you don't have to sell your soul to Warner or Disney, but you also don't have to starve. I mean, I mean you're still a freelancer, so you're still kind of starving, but you're not. I mean, they're you know, all, they're all, no, not all, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> even at but, Marvel and Disney. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? That yeah. you don't have to be, you know, hand cranking a press to make your own comic anymore or work for Marvel or DC, that there's becoming right. more and more viable options. I mean, a lot of that goes back to image and everything it did, but you know, we're something boom and dynamite. And I mean, dark horse still plugging along. I, you know, and, and here's the thing. Okay. So I've, I've changed my tune on dark horse. I think a lot recently, because I, I think a, you asked me a year ago, I would just, all I would talk about is how dark horse is losing licenses, you know, Conan, star Wars, you know, Buffy just a few months, you know, a month ago, all of that fine. But I'm actually reading more dark horse now, you know, the burger books line is, is very strong. Um, I picked up Stranger Things number one the other week. I read Mystery Science of the Year 3001 the other week. So the Seeds. Be reading The Seeds from Anna Senti and uh, David Aha. That is a great book. So, if, if you have, you, not you, you, but yeah. the, well, you as well, but to the all loyal you, man. Yeah. Land, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you didn't check out Modern Fantasy from Rafer Roberts, it is well when it, that comes out in trade, it's going to be a nice little four issue. It was a nice little four issue miniseries, all self contained, with a it, it's half Lord of the Rings, half Office Space. It's delightful. But you know, to kind of get back to your point, you know, the rising tide is lifting all boats because you see, even as we're seeing some of these smaller, you know, publishers come in, your humanoids, your your ahoy you know, going back, you know, another year, Vault, Black Mask, etc. you know, Boom and Dynamite just got elevated to Diamond's Select here. Yeah. So the little guys are, are, are kind of up in their game as, as well. And I think that's why there is such a great, you know, diversity in the kinds of story that we're getting. In addition to allowing for a diversity of, of creator. And more power to everyone involved. I mean, suck I, on I, that comics gate. Yeah. <laughs> I want to read, you know, I, I give me, I, hey, you know, I love me some superheroes. I always have. I loves me some vertigo, but throw me a weird indie book. Throw me an all ages, something or other from somewhere. I will, I'm willing to try anything because if you're not willing to tr- 
if you're not willing to try it, you don't know if you're going to like it. I mean, I was a dedicated superhero reader and only superhero reader until, you know, I'd seen stuff in, God help me for saying this, Wizard magazine about this book called The Sandman. And I grew up to, to get back to an earlier uh, reference. I grew up with wizard more than I grew up with Nate Gray. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But go on. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I hadn't been willing to try Sandman, I mean, that was my gateway for vertigo and for all of the, everything else that's come since that isn't capes and tights. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 will only with a mild amount of shame admit that I own Sandman in more formats than pretty much anything else. So many different ways to own Sandman, and I own pretty much all of them. It's got preludes and nocturnes on preludes and nocturnes on preludes and nocturnes. <laughs> Damn right. I don't, in the immortal words of most Sislak, I don't care if he's the guy who wrote Sandman Volume 1, Preludes and Nocturnes. <laughs> Oh, that makes me want to go reread uh, Watchmen Babies and V for Vacation. <laughs> uh, uh, there's, I'm not. I'm surprised that we didn't see, or that we. I guess we're still a little ways off. But I'm curious. I, I've heard, and it's somewhat of a conspiracy theory, but I'm not entirely sure how much of one. That one of the reasons why Bongo folded is with the Fox Disney purchase. Simpsons comic rights go with that. And as Disney has had this habit of consolidating and then spreading out the rights to properties that they have, that we might be seeing Simpsons comics through the IDW channels that Marvel has, that Disney has used for some of their other stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's true, but I would be surprised if we do not see Simpsons comics again in the not too distant future. Yeah, Simpsons or any some Futurama comics or that new uh, Mac Groening project uh, was that Disenchanted that's on Netflix. There's opportunity Ooh. there. I mean, in the when they announce it, in the immortal words of Professor Farnsworth, "Good news, everyone. <laughs> Terrible news." <laughs> Damn you, old man. Uh, anything else we should uh, touch on out of uh, NYCC? Well, the only other thing that really is, I'm very curious to see what happens with this Buffy, uh, the Buffy books out of Boom. The, I'm, I mean, it seems like it's a new, it, it almost seems like Crisis on Infinite Buffies that we're dealing with sort of a rebooted universe, but I'm just, I'm curious to see where it goes. Is a long time, a, a, as someone who watched the pilot of Buffy on the night it aired, <laughs> I am curious to see where we go. Yeah, that'd be interesting, and and I, you know, I'm curious to see what uh, Jordi Belair does uh, as as the writer on this series. I mean, I know this isn't, I know this isn't her first time writing. Uh, what was it, Redlands? I think was that her yeah, book that she wrote. Yeah, I think so. That sounds yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. Um, but a uh, good team. Dan Mora, uh, you know, is one of Boom's uh, in, you know, in-house guys. I think he just came from drawing Go Go Power Rangers. Mm. But uh, he's and he does those Claws books every year with Grant Morrison. Yes. So <laughs> he's you know he's strong. He's a strong artist. So that'll be uh, be interesting to see where they go with that. Yep. 
so we'll we'll see over the course of the next year what what comes of all this. All right. All right. Comics, everybody. Comics, everybody. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. W-M-Q-A. W-M-Q-A.